are listening to an episode of Dope with Lime, a production of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont College. Each episode of Dope with Lime explores the life, work, and legacy of Lillian E. Smith. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, at LES underscore center. Welcome. My name is Matthew Touch, and I am the director of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont College. Today, I am speaking with Nicole Robinson, the Narrative Medicine Coordinator at Akron Children's Hospital in Ohio. Previously, she worked as the Assistant Director of the Wick Poetry Center at Kent State University. She has an MFA from Ashland University, a BA in English from Kent State University. Last August, she completed a two-week artist residency at the LES Center. Today, we're going to talk about her work as the Narrative Medicine Coordinator and her stay at the Center. Thank you for joining me today, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Although I wish I were with you because it's warmer in Georgia. It is raining pretty heavily in Georgia today, so maybe oh, not. Okay. At least maybe it's not. Funny there. <laughs> um, I'm very intrigued, of course, by, by your residency stay and your work as a narrative uh, medicine coordinator. And I think those that position really overlaps with, with Lillian Smith and what her goals were with childhood um, education and pedagogy and all of these issues. And she said in 1954, she's talking about the Brown versus Board of Education decision. She actually wrote to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and she stated that the ruling was, quote, every child's Magna Carta. And she continued by writing that she was, quote, speaking of disabled children in this decision as well. A little bit further on, she said, children who are different, not because of color, but because of blindness, deafness, cerebral palsy, or other issues, because they have speech defects or epilepsy, these children we have also segregated. Thinking about this, where do we need to work to make Smith's statement a reality that Brown is every child's Magna Carta, no matter race, color, disability, yeah. Um, well, I, first of all, I I do want to say how much I admire Lillian E. Smith's work, both on and off the page, for speaking of speaking out about so many marginalized populations, and also not just giving voice to those marginalized populations, but um, also arguing that their voices needed to be heard. So I don't know. I guess when when I'm thinking of where we need to go now. Um, I think of, you know, to make her statement a reality and, and making every, making that ruling every child's Magna Carta. I think about when I taught a course called Teaching Poetry in the Schools at Kent State University when I was with the Wick Poetry Center and visiting a variety of different schools and seeing arts access and the limitations in certain school districts compared to others, whether that be financial or for other reasons, uh, city school districts compared to private schools. When I think of marginalized children living with chronic or complex medical conditions in hospital settings, uh, which is what I do now, and how often they do not have access to the arts, which I feel is vital for, for children. And for writers and artists, I think that we could do a little bit better of a job making sure that access for children is available. Yeah, of course, one of the things that's always um, been happening recently in 
even before is the cutting of the arts. You said mm -hmm. that the arts is, is very important to children, and I think that Lillian Smith would agree with you. Why do you think the arts is so important to education and to children's education formation? Well, I think it's important not just for the for education, education formation, um, but but for their well-being um, in a very holistic way. And I think, yeah, I definitely think Lillian E. Smith would agree with that as well, being a creative person herself. I think that especially children living in uh, an event, in a very uh, vulnerable state, the arts, and when I say the arts, I'm saying everything from writing to visual art, uh, music, whatever it may be, provides children with a way to not only just express how they're feeling, um, but also to discover and kind of make sense of the world around them. Um, I'm thinking of Gregory Orr, uh, poetry uh, is a way of surviving through chaos. I might be misquoting that slightly, but for children living in and through vulnerable events in their lives and things happening uh, to express and discover their place in the world. I guess I think that's the, the importance of it. And it allows them to do that ex exploration, which education requires. So, so the cutting almost, of the art. Almost like you said, the way of surviving your chaos. And Smith, I would say, kind of argues and some of her letters and some of her other things kind of points out that that artistry and creativity is a way of, like you said, once and foremost, finding yourself, but also finding some kind of truth, whatever that truth may be. And you see that as being beneficial to, to children, and I would say not just children, but also everyone as well, I'm assuming. And I'm assuming yes. that your position as a narrative medicine coordinator kind of works with this. Can you tell us about that position a little bit at the hospital? Yeah, well, I think first I should probably clue anyone listening in on what narrative medicine is because most people haven't heard of it. Um, it is uh, put simply the use of poetry and literature alongside other mediums to help children, patients, families, medical staff, you name it, uh, discover and explore their own personal narrative. It helps patients and children, caregivers voice their experiences, helps them to be heard, to feel heard and recognized. I'm very fortunate that my position exists at Akron Children's Hospital, specifically through the Expressive Therapy Center, which is a program of the Hasslinger Pediatric Palliative Care Center here. So I actually work individually one-on-one -on -one with children, their siblings, families throughout the entire hospital. I also run narrative medicine groups to clue you in on what that would look like. It's typically taking 20, 30 minutes reading something and spending time discussing what's happening in the short story or in the poem. Um, and then I provide a writing exercise where folks will spend some time writing. And then at the end of a group, we go around and share. And that is, that is for the groups that I run in behavioral health, both inpatient and our intensive services programs, and then also for medical staff. So that's kind of what the group sessions look like for individual sessions. Sometimes I'm helping a child write a novel. Other times, 
child's putting together chapbooks of poetry or a parent wants to write something about their experience or their child's experience or something for their child. So it's not just children that you're working with and patients, it's also parents. Correct. Part of the, part of the child's um, family unit or extended, extended network, but you also mentioned caregivers too. What do caregivers mm -hmm. get out of this? Well, multiple things. I think I think multiple things. I think for the for the caregivers, um, one, especially in the hospital setting, they're holding a lot. Right? Their days can be very fulfilling, and then also very uh, draining sometimes. And in the medical field, the the topic of burnout is very, you know, it's kind of a a buzz and how do we help with burnout and I think taking a moment to pause to uh, engage in conversation about a poem or a story and have a conversation about that and use that to we'll often use a text that we're reading and discussing to help us explore something within ourselves so an example maybe reading Molly Fisk's poem, Surrender, When the Truth Came to Me. And it's, it's a poem that explores personifying truth. And with a, with a group of caregivers, I might, I might say, you know, pick something that you have been feeling this past week and personify that. So they might personify exhaustion or joy or anger or frustration or variety of things. And then at the very end, we go around and share. And I'll never forget a, a caregiver saying once after a workshop, uh, saying to me that they really appreciated it because sometimes in an environment where it's constant service and care for others, it can be easy to forget about your colleagues and what they're carrying on their shoulders. And uh, one of these caregivers said to me, just going around and hearing each other's work reminded me that my colleagues are human and and I think that's it I think that's what poetry and literature can really bring into this environment part of the humanities a holistic way of looking at health I think that it's key that you pointed out that um, individuals like to take the time to realize that they're not alone that the other individuals they're working with are going through some of the same issues and you being in this position, I'm assuming don't have much time to write as much as you want to because you're a creative writer as well. So your time at the LES Center was an opportunity to do that. And how did you even learn about the, the opportunities at the LES Center? And did you even know much about Lillian Smith before you arrived at the center? Uh, actually, I am sad to say I didn't. I didn't know of any of Lillian E. Smith's work and I'm, hopeful that as time continues that we can change that because I think her work is as vital now as it was 50 years ago, 60 years ago. I keep forgetting it's not 2000, so it's <laughs> 50 years ago doesn't mean 1950. So I actually heard of Lillian E. Smith and the center uh, through the Writer in Service Award. Uh, someone had told me about it. I think it might have been in um, Poets and Writers or AWP or something, uh, but a, a few uh, fellow writer friends told me about it because I have, I have always felt called not only to write but to share the 
work of poetry and literature in our world. And so a couple of people had told me about this Writer and Service Award, and I had applied to that. And obviously, before applying, I had to look up who is Lillian E. Smith and, and what is she doing. And I really felt kind of like finding a uh, an ancestor of sorts, right? Um, a mentor through the through the ages, because here was a woman who uh, did so much service in her community and beyond, but she also took the time to write about it as well, and and to write what needed to be written, both for herself and for the community. So I applied to the Writer and Service Award, didn't get it. But <laughs> all of you were very kind and, and wrote me and told me how thankful you were for the work that I was doing and how it was close to Lillian E. Smith's. And so that's where I was invited to come to the residency and knew I had no idea what I was driving into when I drove into that, that, that very, you know, I think I, I have in a poem that I was working on while I was there. Uh, I'm tucked so far into the mountains, I can't tell I'm in the mountains. <laughs> but, yeah, so it was a it was discovery, a very you know a, a lot of discovery from the time of hearing about the Writer and Service Award in the Lillian E. Smith Center to arriving and meeting John at the at the entrance. So, so when I first arrived at the center, the first thing I had to do was avoid myself because that what happens. <laughs> so thankful, thankfully you have the Autobahn hiking trails and I utilize those. Wrote a really bad creative nonfiction essay called Bottom Loop Trail, which is a trail at, at your center. Um, and then I proceeded on to my project. And the project really is, I mean, it's, I had this conceptualized idea before arriving at the center, you know, I thought I could do this. And it's very different from how I wrote my, my first book of poems, which is in circulation right now, Nothing Is Always Moving, is very, um, I had no idea where that book was going or what was going to emerge from it. And with the project I started at Lillian E. Smith, I came in wanting to write about habitat loss. And what I discovered on Bottom Loop Trail and by being at the center, as how much the landscape around us shapes us. What I first had to do before writing about habitat loss was write about habitat and what habitat really means. And I know I saw you one morning and, and we talked a little bit about that. And I, I had a few drafts of poems where I was looking at the habitat of, say, even the hospital of one room and how much that room shifts and changes by who's inside of it, who, who, um, the, then the loss that you experience when, when someone leaves a hospital room, uh, which can be for really joyful reasons of going home, but there's still an experience of habitat loss, especially to, you know, those of us here in the hospital and constantly seeing changes, but then habitat also in, in, in our world, right, in nature, we're seeing a lot of deforestation and other things. I have not started tackling that yet. It's such a big topic. So mine, my poems right now are really zoomed in. Um, and at the center, when I began the project, it was really about, at first, the, the space that I take up, 
for anyone listening that has been to the center, especially if you're not from the mountains. And it had been a long time since I had been in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, my family's from there, but it had been a long time. And I had forgotten the way that you can be so inside of it. The canopy's thick above you, the trees, and you almost feel like you could touch the both sides of the trees, like in that drive, the drive up, right? So it really is a, I, I kept thinking about how every step I took mattered when I was, when I was at the center. And that was vital for my writing. I think this new project was set into motion when I was at the center and it has, I've been approaching it very slowly and I could not have done this without having been at the center for a couple of weeks. Having a couple of weeks of silence was exactly what I needed. And I can in the mornings and I do, I have to, I'm a writer. If a writer's not writing, it's very not good. <laughs> so I do write, I, I still write mainly in the mornings, but in order to get this project moving, I needed the silence and space around me. And there's plenty of silence. Plenty of silence. Yes. So, I'm not sure if that ramble just made sense too. Feel free to ask me more questions about the project. It's it's hard to describe something that you're that you're discovering when you're in the midst of it, you know? Yeah, I understand. Why would you recommend somebody pursue or look at a residency at the Elias Center, either either for a writer and service award, which is of course a two week stay, or just to apply for a residency just to come and stay and work there? Well, I would absolutely encourage people to do either of those things. If, if they're a writer doing a lot of service work, by all means, apply to that. Uh, just the process to even do it is nice to pause and take stock of the work that you've done and, and really honor that. But even beyond that, to, take a, to have a residency at LES, if you're looking for a, I, mean, I guess I would say to people who might be looking for that solitude, that silence, that you can work in a studio right next to your bed. I mean, my desk space and the space where I could, you know, sticky tack my poems up on shelves and, and, and then also have something to eat in the kitchen and still see it's this nice open space in the uh, cottage and the rocking chairs would definitely recommend it for the rocking chairs right outside uh the smells the 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 way that you really become a part of the environment where you're staying um i started learning even if the curtains or blinds were closed i could tell when the sun was starting to go down because there would be a silence before the chaotic chirping of the birds um kind of like my nephews before they go to bed, right? Like <laughs> it's the chaos before it goes quiet. But I do think, I think that silence, I think the other really neat thing for me was the history of the property and of the land. And interestingly, you know, and for me writing about habitat loss, and I have some drafts of things about this in regards to the, the center that that as we're seeing so much deforestation and whether it's invasive non-native species taking things down to be in uh on the mountains of the les center where you're surrounded by ferns and trees and brown creepers going up and down the trees it was it's just a really unique space that i can't fully describe and i hope 
I hope in some ways the LES doesn't put too many pictures up because there is something magical about driving up and seeing the, you know, moss covered stone and the, the ferns and the trees kind of wrapping around you. But I think mainly if a person's looking for that silence, the space and the history of both the land and the people, I think that I, you know, I didn't see them too often, which is good. That's what I needed. But I think of John and Miss, what was, what, what is her name? The lovely woman Pearl. who brought flowers. What is it? Pearl. Yeah. And Pearl. Um, but the, the history that they carry with the property too, and knowing, knowing families and uh, the Lillian e. Smith family, it's pretty, that's pretty, remarkable and I did get to talk with them just I think just once really but that was perfect because I needed the silence and space just that tangible connection yeah well we hope to have you back soon and we appreciate you talking with us today absolutely I hope some of it made sense hope it wasn't too rambly <laughs> made perfect sense so we can't wait to see your poems and the work that kind of arose out of your stay at the center yeah, I will definitely share it when it when it appears. All right. Have a good afternoon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dope with Lime. Did you enjoy this episode? Have thoughts? Use the hashtag Dope with Lime on social media or get in touch with us at lescenter at piedmont.edu. You can learn more about Lillian E. Smith and the center by visiting www.piedmont.edu backslash les.